At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Wednesday, September 28th. Welcome to the Just Baseball Show. That's Arm Layton. I'm Peter Apple. We have a loaded show. We're kind of taking a page out of the foolish baseball notebook. We're doing most improved players this MLB season, as well as the least improved players this season, because we don't really have that in baseball. You have that in other sports, but we are here to do that today. But Arm, first, before we get into that, because that's the loaded part of the show, I want to talk about a prospect that was just sent down, and you're the perfect person to ask <laughs> about it, because you're also cooking up the top 100, which should come out in a couple of days, which I can't freaking wait for. It's about to be awesome. But Alec Thomas was just sent back down to AAA. Yeah. He didn't have a good start to his big league career, but he also didn't have a bad start. I mean, he's got around a 71 WRC+, plus, but he was still good in the field. I guess I was just left confused by Alec Thomas getting sent down. Do you understand why? Honestly, no. Um, you know, he was one for his last 31, which, yeah. of course, that stinks. But, you know, at the same time, he was good out of the gate, as you kind of alluded to. The defense has been great. He usually commands his at-bats well, and I think that was the big thing, is all of a sudden you're seeing Alec Thomas not walk at all and, and starting to just put the ball in play really weakly and, and looked lost. He looked like a, a totally different hitter. So from that lens, I, the only justification I can think of is, Hey, let's kind of slow this thing down and shut him down before the bad habits really mount. But at the same time, Alec Thomas is such a polished hitter. He earned such high marks for his makeup and the way he approaches the game that I'd rather watch him try to get through this. Uh, so unless there's something else going on that we don't really know about, I thought it was a pretty peculiar decision to send him down on September. What they did it yesterday or the day before so yeah. September 25th, 26th, uh, when you have barely any games left in the season, it's like, that's more of just a mental, like, man, I got sent down than anything. It's like, what's the point to play two games in triple a, like, oh, I don't really understand why not just let him finish the season and, and stick where he's at. That's the thing. September 25th, like that date is important here. Why are you sending down one of your top prospects? And Jack, he was just talking about it yesterday. He has a couple games left of the minor league season. What's the point? Yeah, You're yeah. with big league coaches. Why is it better to send them down for the minors for a couple of games in order to fix what? Why can't he fix it at the big league level? I just don't understand. It's yeah. such a 
short window to do that. And it's not like the Arizona Diamondbacks are in the middle of a playoff hunt. They're yeah, out of it. That, that would be the only justification, exactly. right? Is is you're looking at a team that's trying to make the playoffs and and, and that's why they're they're trying to just put the best foot forward here. That's not the case with them. What they're doing is is really just totally different, which is just sending him down for whatever personal reason for him. The other weird part is you have the Arizona Fall League. So if you really wanted to get him more reps after the season, like keep him up there, don't stifle his confidence, and then send him to the Fall League. The, the Cardinals did that with Lars Newtbar last year, and look how that worked out for him. So weird decision. Maybe there's more that meets the eye, but from a pure baseball perspective, I don't get it, man. And just on the front of the Diamondbacks, because the Diamondbacks, although this is a peculiar decision, you are very, very high on them. <laughs> you saw the text year. last night. <laughs> yes, I saw the text last night and I looked more into it. And I thought to myself, I understand where you're coming from, but I just don't think the pitching is going to be there enough, as well as the bullpen on top of it. Why are you so high on the Diamondbacks for next year? You know, obviously, I, I think they're going to uh, you know, have some growing pains and we'll see. I just think that they we had the Mariners last year, right? We have the the Orioles this year. Is that team that makes a run as young, fun, and then falls just short? Uh, I think that's what the D-backs can be next year because you talk about the pitching being the question. I, I, I agree. It's definitely a question, but you have Zach Gowan really emerge. Merrill Kelly, I kept waiting for him to, to, to kind of fall, but he, he's legitimately what he is at this point. I think you got to trust that Merrill Kelly is a solid, you know, number three, number four type. And then I love their prospects. You, you look at the AAA stats, and I think a lot of people and evaluators really uh, knock these these D-backs pitchers down because they we, we talked about the PCL, the Pacific Coast League effect, really impacting these, these guys' ERAs. I like Ryan Nelson. I like Dre Jameson. I think either of those guys will end up stepping up and being a rotation piece, maybe both if you're lucky. And then they've got another dude, Brandon Fott. It's spelled P-F-A-A-D-T. And he is shoving in AAA, in the PCL, mixing four pitches for a strike. And I'd bet my life on that guy being a big league starter. And he's big league ready now too. So he could crack the opening day roster. Now you got three young pitchers, a bona fide ace in Zach Gowan. Merrill Kelly and a few other guys that could step up and, and plug into that rotation. If they make a couple signings, they could piece that thing together. And I don't think I have to sell you on the offense. I don't think you do either. And you're going to see some of those guys on offense in your top 100. Yeah. Ranked pretty highly. Yes. Let's get into the event again. Thank you. Foolish baseball for putting out on Twitter. Who's your most improved player for some reason. I never really thought of this, but I'm glad yeah, I kind of put it on the forefront. Shout out foolish baseball phenomenal i actually just saw on twitter he had the same christian javier take as me that we were both just incredibly didn't like javier he didn't like javier going into the year i saw he put it out that or i think someone chirped him about christian javier and i was like i commented on it i was like i also look like an idiot i just didn't think those two pitches would translate from the bullpen into the starting rotation but both of those two pitches just got better and he started throwing harder that is what it is. It's one of my worst takes of the season, but I like to be on the same page, at least as Foolish Baseball. Yeah, it's a good guy. It's a good guy to be with. He's a great guy. And he inspired this most improved. So we both, I have five most improved. We have five least improved. Let's start with the most improved. And I think that this guy in particular is number one. These aren't ranked in a particular order, but I did, you know, we did kind of rank them in the first ones to come to our mind. Yeah, exactly. Some some were like immediate, like, oh, obviously this guy. And then others we had to maybe sift through fan graphs for a little bit, think about it. This guy was 100% right off the dome. I think that Andres Jimenez is the most improved player 
in Major League Baseball. Let's just talk about jumps, right? Because in 2020, he played a little bit with the Mets. Remember, he was traded for Francisco Lindor with Ahmed Rosario. And with the Mets, he put up a 106 WRC plus a 1.2 war. He was always, you know, he was okay. He was a 263 hitter. He only played 49 games in that season. Then he goes over to Cleveland, kind of struggles kind of struggles and by kind of I mean he struggles he had a 74 WRC plus he had a 0.8 war he hit 218 while striking out 25 percent of the time fast forward to 2022 this is why Andres Jimenez is the most improved player in baseball he's played 139 games this season so basically he's played every single game that you could play except for a handful of them and he has a 145 WRC plus that means Andres Jimenez is 45% better than a league average hitter while hitting 303 with a 375 on base with a 482 slugging dropped the strikeout rate almost 7% upped his walk rate. He's going to be a, he might be a 2020 guy. He's about three home runs away from 20. He's one steal away from 20 bases and a 5.9 F4. So he has raised his war five point one that is one of the biggest that i can find of a guy going from just above replacement level to one of the best overall players this year in the sport andres jimenez is a huge reason why the guardians went from a 7.5 percent chance to win the al central moving into the year to al central champions by a decent margin I mean, dude, you hit it all, right? I mean, this guy has not only been one of the most improved or the most improved player in baseball, but he's just been one of the better players, period. Right? Six F war at 24 years old. He just turned 24 is ridiculous. And beyond that, something that really stood out to me, we're talking about a consistent everyday player that can you know, really be at the top of your lineup. He struggled mightily against lefties last year, just had a 551 OPS. Then you look at this season, the OPS has skyrocketed left on left, or excuse me, yeah, excuse me, left on left, which has jumped up to 900. So we're talking about a guy that has seen his OPS against lefties jump more than 300 points, uh, has found more consistency all around, and just looks like a phenomenal defender. We knew that was there, but now it's kind of kicked up to another level. The stolen bases are there. The power is now a factor. He's always produced above average exit velos, but now is you know, really lifting more and, and has more carry to his you know fly balls. This guy's kind of turned into an all-around player, and he's extremely exciting. He's one of the better defensive second basemen in the sport, too. Yeah. I mean, he is just all around. You look at speed, you look at defense, and that's one thing to, you know, be fast. It's another thing to be a really good base runner. And when we spoke to Nick Salen on the podcast, we asked what's the most underrated aspects of the Guardians this year. And he said base running, and Andres Jimenez is a big part of that. And then you give him a 300 batting average 375 OBP and a 145 WRC plus strikes out less than 20 dude this is will it happen next year though because you know I think it will I think I think he'll do almost this because you look you know a a, kind of a simple way to do it is to look at like ex-WOBA versus WOBA maybe a quality of contact and the quality of contact has not been very strong here for Andres Jimenez. Do I think he'll be this good? Could this be a career year for him? I think so, but will he be an above average big leaguer? I think for the next half decade, maybe more. I also do think so. I mean, yeah, it's, it's something too, where just turning 24, 23 days ago and whatever he started to figure out here could continue. He could continue to build on that. And when I see a guy that, is able to make a 350 OPS jump 
left on left, that tells me he really figured things out because that's that's as hard as it gets when you, when you have a hole in your your swing left on left and you're able to kind of satisfy that and and be able to get more comfortable in those positions. I think he's figured something out at the plate and also has tapped into all of his tools a little bit more. I'm excited to see how he how he builds off of this next year. Maybe it's not a six F four season, but I think we can count on him as being a four to five win player just about every year moving forward now. Incredible. Four to five win player moving forward. That trade now, looking That's back good. on it for Francisco Lindor, because Ahmed Rosario is a three war guy. They yeah. won that deal, Arm. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard because like Lindor is is still Lindor. I know. But I think they did as well as they could, right? I mean, you're trading a guy that you know that the team that acquires him has to pay. So that always hurts the value, a la Mookie Betts. Uh, and, and that's going to make things difficult. He had a little bit more control, so it helped. But I mean, this this is as good of a return as you can get to your point here because, I mean, they have their everyday second baseman now who can play shortstop in a pinch. Rosario has been a nice piece and they got a couple other prospects and pieces too. Great job on that trade by the Guardians. And, you know, for the Mets, Lindor helped them more immediately, uh, and, and that's what they wanted. And I don't think they regret the trade whatsoever. They've got Lindor, who's a superstar, but uh, I think both teams made out quite fine. Yeah, I mean, Lindor is a 6.8 war this year. Oh my gosh. But if you combine Ahmed Rosario and Andres Jimenez's war, it's more than Lindor. And if we look at just Lindor throughout the years with the Guardians, the only time he had a better season than Andres Jimenez has is in 2017 and 2018, where he had a 6.1 war and a 7.8 war. So, and that was the best Lindor that we've gotten besides this year now with the Mets. So getting Andres Jimenez and Ahmed Rosario, Guardians made out great, but it's not like the Mets didn't make out great there either. I mean, Lindor is clearly one of the best shortstops in the league. Who's the next guy on our list? Yeah, so we're going to talk about, we're talking about the Mets. Uh, we'll talk about a division rival who held on to their guy, and he, he's really turned into a nice starter for them. Kyle Wright is one of the most improved pitchers in all of baseball this season. And Kyle Wright has seen his numbers really just jump up across the board. I know people don't care about wins anymore, but anytime you win 20 games, you got my attention. And it had been a real struggle for the Braves right-hander through the years. I mean, we're talking about somebody who's been up and down, up and down on several different occasions. First made his debut in 2018, only through six innings before getting sent back down. Came back up in 2019, through 19 innings before getting sent back down. 2020, he threw 38 innings, got sent back down. And then last year, only through six innings, nine, nine, five ERA and got sent back down. All of a sudden this year, he puts it all together and looks like a totally different pitcher. It's a former first round pick here with the pedigree. We we're waiting for what it was going to look like when it all came together. And it has still just 26 years old. He has taken everything to another level, a 318 ERA, a 362 FIP, 2.8 F4 on the season. He's made 29 starts, pitched 175 and a thirds innings while not really walking anybody and striking out nearly a batter per inning, but he gets a lot of weak contact. He goes deep into games. He pounds the strike zone, and it's exactly what you want from your number three, number four starter. And Kyle Wright is one of the better versions of that in the game. Going from a guy that was up and down, up and down, up and down, and seemed like an organizational type of pitcher, to now a certified middle of the rotation starter for them who's going to get the ball in the postseason. And Kyle Wright has made some major, major improvements. It starts with the improved velocity of his fastball, the improved command of his fastball, and also adjusting the shape of his curveball, which has been a huge, huge bonus for him. That has been a new-looked pitcher in Kyle Wright, and it's been really fun to watch. 
Just a couple of things that point out about Kyle Wright. I mean, you said it yourself, 3-1-8 ERAs or 175 innings and been one of the better pitchers in the National League from a production standpoint, but cutting the walk rate in half. I know there wasn't a large sample to look at, but 14% walk rates, 2021-2020, and then 2019, and then a 21.4% walk rate in 2018 and with his first cup of coffee in the bigs. Now it's at 7.3. And you just look at the zones, right, of where he's thrown his his pitches. Um, And they're just – there's these – bright red circles the command has improved immensely but then like when we just look at the pitch mix for a second like he used to be four seam slider sometimes with that sinker but now the curveball he throws 34.1 percent of the time sinker 23.9 those are his two most used pitches when in the rest of his career that especially that curveball was not nearly used as much, and now he's spinning it over twenty seven hundred yeah. RPMs. And the four seam and the changeup are good complementary pieces. What the Braves have now is just a new Charlie Morton in that way, right? The big hammer curveball. He doesn't have the exact velocity that Charlie Morton has, but he kind of just replaced Charlie Morton while Charlie Morton is still on the team. And yeah, probably will who also hit 200 strikeouts again for the fourth straight year, uh, which is, which is amazing. And I mean, yeah, he can kind of replace that, what they were getting from him over the last couple of years. You hope that the strikeouts can maybe tick up to that Charlie Morton range, uh, but you are right. I mean, what, what they are able to now have here, especially with what they have lost, at least for the time being, and Ian Anderson, to get this from Kyle Wright is, is absolutely massive. And to, to piggyback off of what you were saying, I mean, something that really stuck out to me when I wrote the piece on Kyle Wright earlier in the season was that he really did improve the the shape of the fastball and the command of it. It plays well at the top of the zone. And then that hammer breaking ball really tunnels well off of that. So he's really been able to create more of a tunneling effect, allowing his stuff to play up. And all of a sudden now, you know, Kyle Wright looks like a way more advanced and looks like the number five overall pick that he was, you know, several years ago. This is what the Braves thought they were getting. It just took a little bit more time to get there. And all of this has resulted in a 55.6% ground ball rate, one of the better ground ball rates in Major League Baseball, and a 10% jump from 2021. Kyle Wright, man, just awesome. Let's break into the next one. Alejandro Kirk of the Toronto Blue Jays is incredibly improved. I think a lot of people could see this potentially yeah. coming, especially a guy like Colby Olsen, who has been on the Alejandro Kirk train now for what seems like a decade, even though Alejandro Kirk really made his debut in 2021, but he did have a cup of coffee in the bigs. He only played nine games in 2020 and he put up a 165 WRC plus, but it was hard to really gauge that. But in the minors, the quality of contact was always really strong. He was always a really good receiver of the ball, but he's not, the sexy guy right because he's five foot eight 260 pounds Uh, and i think that's on the low end exactly and you have a prospect like gabriel moreno who's more flashy who seems like a really really top prospect who you will find in the just baseball top 100 written here by arm but in 2021 he played 60 games you know he always walked a ton never really struck out but he was a 242 hitter You know, he got on base a decent amount and had a 106 WRC plus, but the quality of contract, it was there. Like you could see if he put it all together 
what kind of catcher he could be. And he's becoming exactly what I think people who are even really high on him thought he would be a 134 WRC plus he's walked more than he struck out this year. He's hitting almost 300 to give him 14 home runs. And he is still one of the best framers, one of the best receivers of the ball at the catching position in our sport, ranking in the 98th percentile of catcher framing. And then to give him a 3.9 F4, one of the highest among all catchers. Alejandro Kirk has established himself now as one of the better catchers in baseball. With that said, the position in itself is not very deep, but it continues to get deeper with some of these guys having breakout yeah. seasons this year. And Alejandro Kirk, I think, headlines the list of all catchers. Yeah, I mean, it, it's amazing what he's been able to give them because now it, it creates a unique situation in, in Toronto, which I'm sure we'll talk about plenty in this offseason, which is what do they do with Gabriel Moreno? Because you know, Kirk, as you mentioned, has also improved on the defensive side of things, which was always a, a concern uh, with with kind of the way he, he moves back there. But he actually isn't a great athlete and moves quite well. Uh, the zone contact is is elite. It's near 90%, which is, you know, one of the better marks you're going to see in baseball combined with the fact that he hits the ball really freaking hard. Uh, he's short, he's compact to the ball. He stays very direct and that helps him, you know, shorter arms, very simple swing. Mm -hmm. And he generates a lot of leverage and, and we're seeing him finally, you know, tap into that and consistently just spray doubles and now hit some more homers, but zone contact at near 90% swinging strike rate of 6% is ridiculously, ridiculously low. I mean, good, good would be considered below 10%. And he's almost half of that. He makes good swing decisions. He's got a good approach. This is as safe of an offensive profile as you're going to find, which is yep. why Colby loved him. But now tapping into more consistent power as well. He walks more than he strikes out. He hits the ball hard. Uh, there's not much to... There, it's almost impossible to poke a hole in Alejandro Kirk's offensive game other than the running part of it, which yeah. doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. I was just about to say, there's one hole in yeah. speed, but you're not relying on a guy like Alejandro mm -hmm. Kirk to run the bases effectively. You want him to hit. You want him to get on first base so that the big cogs in the lineup like Teoscar Hernandez, like Vladimir Guerrero Jr., like Bo Bichette, can just drive him in without him even maybe having to go first to third. Why not just hit it out of the ballpark? Make it easy for us, Matt Chapman. But in all, like Alejandro Kirk hits near third in that Blue Jays lineup. Hasn't had the best second half. I mean, he was an all-star for a reason, had an incredible first half, but it's still been good in the second half. But I think he's come down to earth a little bit. But when you look at the full season in totality, it's one of the best at the catching position and a huge jump from 2021. Oh, absolutely. I, and I, I'm really excited to to see what the Blue Jays do now that they have their catcher solidified there. Danny Jansen's been great too. Oh. And they've just got Moreno waiting in the wings. So Blue Jays be fans, fun. I, you know, I do the TikTok lives. You would think Danny Jansen was Johnny Bench. <laughs> He's good, man. They love Danny Jansen. And I get it. He's, first of all, he might be the greatest third string catcher of all time. If they, if you put in Gabriel Moreno there, yeah. but he's probably the best backup catcher in all of baseball. And is he's probably, he's probably an everyday regular for a lesser team, but for you know, a lot of teams. Yeah. For, for a, a lot, lot of teams. teams. I mean, the Marlins oh, in two <laughs> seconds in two freaking seconds. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's move on to number four. 
Yeah, another big-time breakout bat and a guy that decided to go by Nathaniel Lowe instead of Nate Lowe and just started raking once he made the switch. Nate Lowe, Nathaniel Lowe, has been spectacular this season, uh, already has a career high in home runs with 25. He has just been even more insane in the second half, but the numbers on the overall season, 304, 359, 494 for the Rangers' first baseman with 25 homers. He was pretty good last year, so this is a guy that you know wasn't, bad to great like Kyle Wright, but this was still average at an offensive centric position to a really good first base bat, a 114 WRC plus last year. He is up that to 143 this year. And if you take the numbers from you know his last 60 games, he's been even more ridiculous. 351, 409, 576 slash line over his last 60 games. And the most important thing for Nathaniel Lowe is getting the ball in the air. He's cut the ground ball rate by more than 7%. He hits the ball really hard. When he was a prospect, he was viewed as a plus to plus plus raw power guy, but always was hitting the ball on the ground too much. Now he's lifting and now he's reaping the rewards. He's going to be a 30 home run guy moving forward. I really do believe it because he's got the blend of raw power and bat to ball skills, a pretty good approach, though he doesn't walk as much as you'd like to see. It doesn't matter when you're hitting the ball as hard and as consistently as Nathaniel Lowe is. This guy is really good, and the Rangers have their first baseman of the foreseeable future here. It's easy to forget. He's still just 27 years old. I wonder if you ask Rangers fans, Corey Seager, Marcus Semien, Adolis Garcia, or Nate Lowe, Nathaniel, excuse me. I keep Who doing do you think too. is going to have the best season? I think a lot of them would rank Nathaniel Lowe fourth, and Bye. yet they spent $500 million in total contract money for Corey Seager and Marcus Semien. And who's been the best hitter in the Rangers lineup? Nathaniel Lowe. And that's not a slight to the Rangers lineup. Nathaniel Lowe has been one of the best overall hitters in baseball this season by WRC+. Plus. Like when we said about Andres Jimenez, how he's been one of the best overall players, because he is in terms of WRC+, Plus, like he's up there with Mookie Betts. Like that's yeah. the kind of category that he's in. And Nathaniel Lowe is right there. The only knock I guess you can make on Nathaniel Lowe is the defense. Um, he's in the first percentile of outs above average. And that's why you see a lower war. Mm-hmm. But man, can he rake and he plays first base. So like who the fuck cares? Yeah, that's the only thing. I, I almost ignore in some ways first base war, even though you I mean you want a guy that defends it well. Um, you look at Ryan Howard's like fifty something home run season. I think he was like a three, two, two or three F four player. Like, I, I'm, I'm we're big believers in that metric. It's one of the best ways to analyze a player's value. But there's like anything, there's holes in it. I refuse to believe when Ryan Howard hit fifty home runs that he only provided two wins or three wins to his team. Uh, so, you know, there's always little gaps in that. I, th- I think the Rangers see Nathaniel Lowe as much more than a three-win player based on what he did for them this year because the consistency too, man, it's it's not just the power. Guy hit 304. <laughs> you know, he's getting on base at a 360 clip and could walk more. I mean, this is somebody that could routinely be in the higher 300s with his on-base percentage if he, you know, cuts down the chase rate a little bit. Uh, really nice development for the Rangers. And you know, we knew this was going to be a, a, a growth year for them. Uh, and, you know, maybe it didn't go as well as we thought it would in terms of just you know, being a little bit more competitive, but at least you found another core piece here in Nathaniel Lowe. And what a second half for Nathaniel Lowe, a 986 OPS in the second half hit 350 with a 407 on base. And another thing that I find very interesting about Nathaniel Lowe, kind of to your point about Andres Jimenez being really good against lefties, which is important. Like you don't want to be 
a platoon bat, basically. Like you don't want to be or just man, be giving he, up so much production, you know, exactly. one third of the games. And Nathaniel Lowe, you know, he's good against righties. 285 batting average, 465 slugging, 341 on base to give him an 806 OPS. But how about the fact that he hits 347 this year off lefties? 557 <laughs> slugging to give him a 955 OPS. Like he is developing at 27, the former Tampa Bay Ray. That's not very surprising that he really is one of the best hitters at the first base position at least this year and another one of those things where you can say oh what about the woba to x woba maybe just something like that like how good is the quality of contact if we're looking at hard hit rates um he's in the 75th percentile with a max exit velo in the 89th percentile and the x woba to woba is not that big of a gap could he regress slightly maybe but if he regresses slightly from this he's still well above average at the first base position I think if he regresses slightly in the in the you know just contact batted ball department, it, he can hedge that with walking a little bit more. Exactly. It'll kind of wash out, and that's why I think we can see him kind of staying around this 850, 860 OPS range. Which and you take that every day of the week. Take that every day of the week. Next and last of the top five of the most improved players is Dansby Swanson of the Atlanta Braves. I mean, what a good time to have the best season of your career and establish yourself as one of the best shortstops in baseball right before you're due to sign a mega millions type contract. (laughs) And that's exactly what Dansby Swanson did a little bit of a tougher second half compared Mm -hmm. to the first half, but it has still resulted in a six war and one of the best (laughs) defenders at the shortstop position. If we're looking at defensive war, he put up a 20 on fan graphs and it's tough to gauge there, but just overall, you can tell that Dansby Swanson is a great defender over there at short and has improved a ton 22 home runs this year, which is not as much as the 27 last year, but I'm sure he'll take that because the slugging percentage is still there because he's hitting plenty of doubles. And he's got 18 stolen bases, which is eight more than his previous high. So he could be a 25-20 guy at the end of the season. He would have to get a little bit of a bump, but I think that he'll be at the 2020 mark, especially in a contract year. You know, Dansby Swanson is going to be trying to steal bases in the next two weeks to end the season. But a guy who's who slashed 279 batting average, 331 on base, 441 slugging to give him a 114 WRC plus. He's going to get a bag arm. He's going to get a crazy bag, and he deserves it. He deserves but it. I am curious what it's going to be. Dansby Swanson is currently 28 years old. He's been very durable. That's something that you don't often find. He played 160 games last year, 60 games in the shortened season, and has now totaled 154 games and should play the rest unless they want to give him a rest day, but is super, super durable. What type of contract do you think he's going to get? Like, Do you think he's going to get Javier Baez money, Marcus Semien money? Do you think he could get more? What's your gauge? Because when I think of a contract for Dansby Swanson, I kind of lean towards the Marcus Semien type deal around seven years, around 170-ish million. Man, that would be a lot. I know. That would be but, a lot. I, I mean, but look at the market. You know, I, I think, you know, you look at, at what Semien did offensively the year before and, and some of the seasons he's had in the past, but he also is the second baseman. That's what they paid him to be. So that's also a little bit different, meaning that, you know, it, it kind of helps your case there. I, I just struggle to imagine a world where Dansby Swanson gets 175, but you know, know what? Like he's he's given himself a shot. 
I would probably, you talk about the durability, I would feel comfortable giving him six, seven years. I'd imagine it's closer to the to Javi Baez type range, I think. with with I, I think six years with a little bit less per year than what we're seeing Semyon probably makes sense. Uh, but, I mean, the what he's done defensively, what he means to Atlanta, and, and also just seeing that offense tick up overall this year and, and just – I mean, this has been the career year for him, right? Is he going to keep doing this or is this, you know, emptying the tank on a contract year? That's a question that Alex Anthopoulos has to answer. Uh, but I think with how important this guy is to their team with the fallout of Freddie Freeman, I don't think they want to lose another core guy here. I think it's going to be somewhere around the $130, $140 million range is my kind of final prediction. I think that's fair. But what I see is I see a guy who's totaled about 9.4 war in the past two years. So let's say on average, let's say, you know, 3.4 in 2021, six, maybe this is the best season that we've ever gotten that we'll ever get from Dan's response, which is okay. It makes sense. This is a phenomenal season. So he's around a four and a half war guy. That's worth a lot of money. I, I agree. It's worth I, a lot of money. That might I think be the Rangers saw 45 per. homers. The Rangers saw 45 homers though. When they, that's when they paid point. Marcus Semien. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a good, but, but he also was 30. And, and he's 30. 30. So. I think it's going to be around, I think, between the, the total value of those Javi Baez, Marcus Semien deals. And maybe he gets a little bit more. I, he is such a tough gauge that it's really going to be which team is is desperate enough for his services. And if nobody's really bidden against the Braves, you know, maybe they get a good deal here. The Braves always seem to find a way to get good deals. It's unbelievable. Um, but yeah, I, I, I see where you're coming from there. And I, I could easily see him push past 120, 130. And the thing is also with Dansby Swanson, kind of similar to Marcus Semien, is you're paying for more than just on-the-field production. Dansby Swanson seems like a bona fide leader, kind of similar to what Marcus Semien was. It seems like in the Rangers clubhouse, like everyone is obsessed with Marcus Semien. You you look at how the Blue Jays reacted when he left. It was he was a he was a clubhouse. Yeah, it was like that, crying. <laughs> yeah, it seems the same with Dancy Swanson. That's what I was saying. They, they, they can't lose another core piece here. I, I I really think they'll they'll do what they can to keep him. But you know, Alex Anthopoulos, he might say, "We'll give you ten years for a hundred. <laughs> and just be like, "Well, what do you think?" <laughs> and I don't know what Dancy Swanson is going to do. But let's take a break before we get to our least improved players and talk to you guys about Diet Smoke. Diet Smoke is the solution to avoid those, oh shit, I'm way too high moments. Diet Smoke makes Delta 8 THC, Delta 9 THC, and CBD products that are perfectly balanced. Their gummies, drinks, and vapes are not only delicious, they're guaranteed to give you that beautiful buzz you've been looking for without melting you into the couch. They extract their THC and CBD from American-grown hemp, meaning they can ship directly to your door. No prescription, no sketchy weed dealer, no need to even leave the house. Diet Smoke just released a bunch of new products and flavors, so no matter what type of mood you're in, they got you covered. So if you're ready for that perfect high, head over to dietsmoke.com and use code JUSTBASEBALL. Use code just baseball for 15% off your entire purchase. You must be 21 and older to buy. I'm a big fan of the mango, also blue raspberry. They also, I got even got a I got a text from the people at Diet Smoke saying they got a bunch of new flavors back in stock. Ooh. Head over to Diet Smoke. The sodas are good. Yeah. The gummies are good. Perfect high. Yeah. What's I enjoyed it. About? I 
sipping on that soda on the casual Friday episode, just hammering out some prospect write-ups and just relaxing, enjoying the office. It was nice and quiet. <laughs> it was, it think- was actually pretty nice here. We got some stocked up in the fridge here. Were you on the uh, Were you on the Diamondbacks or next year's Orioles on that diet smoke? Or was, that, <laughs> was that a sober? Tip? No, no, that was actually as clear minded as I've ever been. I love it. Let's talk about the least improved players in Major League Baseball. Sorry, we gotta we gotta be kind of assholes a little bit because these guys have stunk it up, and I think the number one least improved player. And you can make the arguments to more guys on our list, which you will hear the rest of our list in a minute. But that guy is Jose Barrios of the Toronto Blue Jays. How about the worst ERA of qualified starters? The worst. It's not good. Not good. 5-2-7 ERA. Through 160 innings, the advanced stats don't even look that good on him. Strikeouts dropped off a cliff. He's walking plenty of guys. He had a four war in 2021, 0.8 this year. Another guy on our list has a 0.8 F war and has been shut down for the rest of the season. Jose Brios has not been shut down for the rest of the season. He's thrown 160 innings. He gives up an incredible amount of home runs. It's just been a shame for the Blue Jays, especially after signing him to a seven-year deal worth $131 million that goes till 2028. Year one has not been kind to Jose Barrios' arm. No, man, it's been really tough to watch. And it's amazing that the Blue Jays have been able to kind of get by. And I think a big reason why has been the performance by Kevin Gossman. But you look at what what Jose Barrios has done or not done. I mean, it's to the point now where it seems like he's in survival mode. We're seeing him throw his curveball more than his fastball uh, because he just doesn't trust the heater whatsoever because of the way it's been hit. I mean, he's still sitting 94, 95 with, with the fastball touching six and seven, but it's flat and and it just has not had much of the life and he's not locating it nearly as well. This is a pitch that, you know, even though the velo is up there, it doesn't have that riding life, that high spin, you know, just type of, of explosion to it at the top of the zone. So that means you got to locate better. And right now it's a dead zone fastball that he's not locating. So he's trying to hide that pitch. He's trying to mask that pitch and he's not able to uh, because really all he has is that curveball and hitters know it's coming. You know, that's the one pitch he is using it pretty well. It's still an effective pitch overall, but at the end of the day, like that, that's all he really has. And guys are shutting that pitch down and hunting fastballs. Cause eventually you got to go back to it. And you look at what opponents are doing to his four seam fastball this year, 351, 406, 637 slash line. That's, that's a 1044 OPS. So basically Hitters are MVP candidates off of Jose Barrios' fastball. I mean, that, that's a problem, uh, to say the least. If you're the Blue Jays, because they're going to be a playoff team, they're in the AL wild card. Number one is Manoa, two is Gosman, or however way you want to slice it, I would throw Manoa in game one. But if you want to throw Gosman, I wouldn't say that that's a bad decision either. Both have been awesome. Then you have Ross Stripling, who has been very solid for the Blue Jays. I mean... <laughs> It's been one of the better pitchers in the American League in the second half. You're not throwing Yusei Kikuchi. You are not throwing Mitch White. Game four, are they going back to Manoa or Gosman? Or are they saying, let's give Barrios the shot here? What would you do? I would personally go back to Manoa or Gosman. 
I'm not giving Jose Brios a shot here. I'm not. I don't think I want to. Um, and I don't think I would. You look at the last five starts for Barrios. He's allowed 38 hits in 26 innings, 15 earned runs, 14 strikeouts, seven walks. You at that point, I think it would be, you know, Einstein's definition of insanity to roll him out there in the postseason. Look, I'm not saying Barrios is cooked for the rest of his career, but clearly whatever's going on is not going to be solved this year, right? It's just not going to happen. He's going to have to work through some things in the offseason and find a way to improve. So it's not going to happen in the postseason either. I can promise you that he has not shown any signs of life. I would 100% rather roll out Ross Stripling on a short leash. Um, and, you know, if, depending on how the series is going, depending on your bullpen usage, depending on what, maybe you go short leash. I mean, Manoa's pitching as well as he has really ever right now over his last five starts, a 1.03 ERA. I'd trust that guy. You got to ride that guy to the promised land if you're going to go anywhere as the Blue Jays. Same with Gosman. But I'd either throw Manoa on short rest, which you don't really want to do after a long season, and he's still young and he's got a lot of years ahead of him. Or I would I would definitely go Ross Stripling over Jose Barrios. I think you're really looking at Barrios as a reliever or a cleanup duty in the postseason at the very least. And if he looks great then, then maybe you reevaluate. But right now you have to almost assume that he's getting shelled if you put him out there because that'd be a pretty fair assumption. And the Blue Jays have a solid bullpen. You know, the more I watch them, the more I'm impressed. Guys like Meza, guys like Simber has been better. Yimi Garcia, Jordan Romano. Romano's back in, yep. Yeah, I mean, overall, and then you have Anthony Bass back there, who's been a great addition for them at the deadline from your Miami Marlins. Like, the Blue Jays have the bullpen. It's been good. Yes, exactly. And I almost think that if you're going to start Jose Brios, give me one time through the order, almost. Yeah. Like, give me three innings, Brios. Yeah, if, I, if run, I'm up, please. If I'm up, like, 3-0 in the series, I'll give him a short leash and see how it's going, you know? Exactly. but. Yeah, it, it, that's at the very most. And that's really sad to say. <laughs> it is. And I hope I hope he puts it together next year. But I mean, 28 years old gets the big contract and just seems to really lose it. it it's, it's pretty surprising. It's bizarre. Who's number two? So number two, it's and I know I could already hear the Phillies fans saying he's been hurt and he was having a good second half. And I get it. But Nick Cassianos has been a disappointment this year and he has not improved at all off of a good year last year. And he's just been one of the most disappointing players in baseball. It's just the reality of it. He is a defensive liability. Offensively in the first half, he was a disaster, even with the stronger second half before you know being banged up a little bit. Still just a 96 WRC plus. And when you're paying him the amount of money he's being paid, five-year, $100 million deal, $20 million a year, and you're getting that, I mean, it is easily – it's very simple. He's been one of the most disappointing and most just overall let down hitters this season. I mean, you talk about the defense out there. It's really bad. Bryce Harper's injury, you know, kind of resulted in him having to be out there even more, but he doesn't walk. So when he's not heading for power, there's not much to fall back on a 265, 305, 397 slash line. I mean, that's worse than even his worst road splits through the years. He he is not hitting for nearly as much power. He just seems very lost and uncomfortable at the plate. His strikeout rate is up 3% from last year. His walk rate is down 2%. His exit velos overall are down over two miles per hour. So just not hitting the ball nearly as hard. Barrel rate is down. Like pick a number. It, it's all bad. And even the defense has regressed. It's been really rough to watch Nick Cassianos play baseball this year. And I totally understand Philly's fans like he has had a better second half. I get it. And he was a little bit injured. So there is this isn't a perfect evaluation, I guess, because he's been better. But how much better Philly? He's got a 773 OPS in the second half. You yeah. paid him five years, $20 million. And he to also hit. has to hit. 
He's not going to give you good defense. So with 77, 773 OPS is you thinking, oh, yeah, great second half. It's just he has a 100 OPS jump from the first half where he had a 673 OPS. So he looks a lot better than garbage. Does that mean now that he's great? No, this has just not been a good player. Like you have plenty of other good players. You're going to be in the playoffs most likely. I don't know what's the point of defending this guy tooth and nail and thinking to yourself, well, he's just hurt and he's got a really good second half. So he hasn't been disappointing. That doesn't make any sense to me because you paid him to hit and he has a 773 OPS in the second half. And that's at his best. That's it, not that's good enough. If you were getting something else, right? Like if this was a guy who could play defense or, you know, brings other things to the equation, then sure. But we're talking about one of the worst defensive outfielders and, when you're only hitting even in the better second half, five home runs over that span, what are you doing out there? Right. You, when you have a defensive liability in a corner or a DH or whatever, they got to mash, they got to mash. So not only is he below average with WRC plus being a hundred as average, the average DH in regards to WRC plus is around 106, 108. So he's well below average. If we're going from that lens and a negative 0.7 F war kind of tells you everything you need to know. I don't think this is a lost deal. I Me do neither. think that he can bounce back, but he has easily been one of the more disappointing players in, in baseball this year. Exactly. And I, I got, for some reason, I got kind of emotional there. And I think the only reason I got more emotional than maybe I should have is because we just got ran through the mud on our last TikTok when we <laughs> said that Nick Cassianos has been one of the worst free agent signings. And Phillies fans acted like he was Babe Ruth in the second half. We did. We and got ran through the mud for that. Ran through the mud. It's kind of the same <laughs> thing as kind of the same thing as when we said that Freddie Freeman would be better than Vladimir Guerrero Jr. this year. It's just ran through the mud. And if like I get it. If he had like a 900 OPS in the second half, yeah, really yeah. Bad, then it's like, and then the total year looked good not great and you know we were just bagging on him for a bad 70 game stretch okay but 773 ops in the second half is not going to cut it i know we had 297 but the power is not there like what are you paying him for are you paying him to be an average guy hit some singles yeah like nick Slap it around is- a little bit you yeah know, like-, like nick castellanos is your dh he's supposed to be um, supposed to slug yeah he's supposed to slug let's talk about another guy um <laughs> this guy arm has I mean he, he, we're talking about Jose Barrios being bad Lucas Giolito of the Chicago White Sox has had one of the most disappointing seasons from a production standpoint the peripheral stats point to this being a little bit of a fluke year which I get he's still striking out a bunch of guys but he's walking way more than usual and he's got a 5.05 ERA, 4.37 X ERA, 4.13 FIP, 3.61 X FIP. So you could say he's ran into a little bit of bad luck this year. And that's fine for projecting him for next year. But that's not what we're doing here. We're talking about disappointing seasons. And this has been a guy in 2019 with a 3.41, then a 3.48 ERA in 2020, 3.53. It jumps to 5.05, and the war j- drops off a cliff especially from last year, 4.1 to 1.6 this year. He is kind of the definition of the White Sox season, right? (laughs) He's a pretty good definition of it, of just you didn't get what you thought you were going to get in the South side. I mean, and you're just like, you keep waiting, right? You just keep waiting for, oh, he shows you a little flash that he teases you a little bit, just like the White Sox did, right? They tease you a little bit. Oh, no way they're fully dead. I mean, how many times did Jack... 
actually say like they're dead. They're not dead. They're n- I, I literally think of the meme every time, like somebody call an ambulance, but, but not for me. Like that, that is literally what I think of every time we talk about the White Sox and now they're, they're fully dead. Giolito has been you know, a, a microcosm of that to your point, a hundred percent. And, you know, you, you look at the stuff, it's just ticked down uh, the velo down uh, the spin rates in, in vertical break down. So not only is the fastball slower in, in terms of velocity, it has less ride to it. It has less explosion out of his hand. So it's not going to play up nearly as well. The slider, less spin, less sharpness, lower velo across the board. His entire arsenal has ticked down and the spin rates have also ticked down. He just does not look nearly as good. He has to be so perfect with his command now because the stuff isn't that great. And we, we've just seen, I mean, when he's on, sometimes he hits his spots and he can get outs, but his margin for error is razor thin. And as a result, we saw him get knocked around this year. A pretty good deal. This is a guy that used to feast with the high, you know, the high riding fastball, 19 inches of induced vertical break last year, this year, low 17s. And sometimes it would dip below that. I mean, that's just really takes away what he loved to weaponize the most, which was that fastball that set up the rest of his arsenal. Still 28 years old. I still have full faith. The peripherals would point to him bouncing back as well. Yeah. But this season is a microcosm of the Chicago White Sox. And Lucas Giolito is a pretty good example of that. Yeah. You asked Jack, he says, ship him out of town, I think. And I wouldn't ship him out of town, especially the 6'6", 245-pound stud who had a really tough year but like not similarly to Brios the peripherals would point to him having a better year next year but for Brios everything is awful like that's why yeah. it's a little bit scary there with Brios but with Giolito at least you can say all right it might just be a bad season but who knows the peripherals the have been wrong before and they'll be wrong again he still averaged you know 10 strikeouts per nine yeah. so you still have the, and that's what the stuff ticking down so there is hope there but you see the walks jump yeah, a little bit. I think that's really because he has to nibble more and he doesn't trust his stuff as much. And so we'll see. I, I He's a hard worker. He earns everyone raves about the way he approaches the game. And remember, this was somebody that when he first came up, he was a top prospect, really struggled. It was a big, you know, a big trade piece. And that swap between uh, it was the Adam Eaton trade between the Nationals and the White Sox and top prospect that really struggled out of the gate and then seemed to figure things out. I mean, 2018, he had a 613 ERA. So he did it in the past, not nearly as dramatically bad this time around. Let's see if he can, you know, kind of figure things out and turn it around again. I'll bet on him doing it, but obviously a very disappointing season for him and his team. And we have two guys left. And I just want to say we didn't add relievers to this. And we also didn't put guys who have been hurt. For yeah. Most of thank the you for year. mentioning that. So I was going to mention like, that there and were, I forgot. There were some guys who, you know, like, for example, I was hearing, like, maybe we should put Byron Buxton on this list. And it's like, I'm not going to ding. great year for Buxton. Yeah, into when he was on the field, I'm not going to ding a guy for when he's getting hurt. And Josh Hader could be added to this list as well. It's but it's relievers. The They're just yeah. like, and he's been much better lately with the Padres. Yeah. It's sometimes you just go through rough stretches and you don't have that many innings. So you could have a blow-up start and then the rest of your year looks terrible. So we didn't add relievers and we didn't add guys who have been hurt. And also we didn't add, like, for example, I, I don't know. So we like guys who barely played in their rookie year. And now this is kind of their rookie year. The closest we really got to that is Kirk, but he did debut like almost three years ago and then played last year a little bit. And then this year he took the jump. So we thought to add him. Yeah. Like, Tor- kind of Torkelson's not going to be like, yes, disappointing, but 
know, I, nobody was assuming Torkelson was going to be, you know, a star right away. It's it's yeah. hard to break into the big league. So we wanted to avoid rookies or, you know, really young players in, in their career. Even Luis Robert, like Luis Robert was a consideration, but he still had a good year. Yeah. It was disappointing because we're waiting for him to become the MVP candidate that everybody has, you know, touted him as for so long. And we, we all see those flashes, right? But, you know, that I don't think he fits the criteria when you have other guys who, you know, have put up really good years and all of a sudden took a big step back, which, you know, kind of leads me into somebody that I was really hoping would build on on a solid year last year, and, and he just didn't. And it's Trevor Rogers of the Miami Marlins. And talk about microcosms. The Miami Marlins were a disaster. Uh, they had a horrible year. Their pitching was supposed to be their strength, and in spots it was. But the guy that was supposed to be their number two, or at least number three, was not even really a number four or five for most of the year. And it's Trevor Rogers who it just five, four, seven ERA this year, the strikeouts went way down. Walk rate went up. And for those who might be wondering, well, aren't there, you know, more notable names to, to mention here. Trevor Rogers had a two, six, four ERA last year, a two, five, five FIP in 133 innings, a 4.2 F4. He was spectacular. And yep. this is somebody that we, we saw him dominate. You know, just dominate with the fastball changeup combination. He's funky. The fastball just really, really takes off. Guys are uncomfortable against it. The changeup plays up off of it. He's mixed in a decent slider. But this year, everything's kind of just gone to the wayside. He has been banged up at times, but even injuries aside, it, he it would have been a disappointing year because the fastball command wasn't there. The stuff ticked down a tad, and he just was very, very inconsistent overall. The fastball sets the tone for him. When he has that fastball riding into the top of the zone that gets in on you so quickly. Now hitters start cheating for that. And when you spin the change up off of that and, you know, are, are able to make it look like the fastball and guys are out front trying to catch up to a fastball that plays up so much more. He didn't establish the fastball at all this year and the rest of his stuff suffered as a result. And we saw a much more diminished Trevor Rogers this season. Important to note, though, still 24 years old and did show a lot of signs of life before going down for the rest of the season. He did have a couple good starts towards the back end of this year. Yeah, I think he'll be okay. And you pretty much summarized it. But just to quantify how hitters have performed against that fastball in 2021 and then in 2022, they had a 222 batting average and a 344 slugging against the fastball in 2021. It was dominant. It's a great pitch. <laughs> it's 94.5 miles an hour to 94.6 this year. So it wasn't a velocity thing. It really, to your point, was a command sure. thing. And especially now this year, 312 batting average against the fastball with a 553 slugging against that pitch. It was a lost season for Trevor Rogers. But to your point as well, he pitched better in his last couple of starts down the stretch and then got shut down at the end of the year. I do believe he is too good of a pitcher not to bounce back, but he did not take a step forward. He didn't even really take a step back. He leaped backwards. Yeah. And that's kind of the point of this of this list. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's something that the Marlins have to take a long look at too, right? We're, we see Jesus Lazardo, who, you know, maybe not quite as dramatic as these other guys, but definitely a, you know, improved honorable mention here, right? As somebody that has really looked solid, that's a lefty for them that looks like they can count on in the rotation. You know, what do they expect from Rogers moving forward? I, I, I want to give him another look and, you know, see how he does next year, but they've got some other guys making their way up to the big leagues that, you know, could, end up fighting for starts in there. And Braxton Garrett looks pretty good as well. It's going to be very fascinating to see how they try to handle each of these guys, who they're going to move, which we'll talk about plenty in the offseason. Uh, but Rodgers, if he dominated this year, probably untouchable. Now, much more unique situation. And it'll be interesting to see if teams are interested in him and, and how much. 
And another guy who took an enormous step back this year, which I did not really expect. I didn't expect Jared Walsh of the Los Angeles Angels to make massive steps forward. But in 2020, he had a 150 WRC plus. It was through 32 games, but at least gave you flashes of what could be kind of a Nathaniel Lowe type, right? Like a really, really good hitter at the first base position. Then over a full season in 2021, he played 144 games, ticked down a little bit, a 126 WRC plus, but he's getting on base more than he did the previous year. And just the slugging came down a little bit, but he still hit 29 home runs. And this was looking like a great piece to put alongside Shohei Otani and Mike Trout. Yeah. And then this year, negative war negative 0.6 struck out 30 percent of the time walks dropped off a cliff home runs cut in half 15 this year he's been banged up a little bit but still played 118 games so it's not like he played 50 games this year and we're looking at a small sample this 118 game sample where he had 15 home runs he slashed 215 269 with a 374 slugging 77 wrc plus Aram, this guy was a top 10 first baseman going into this yeah. season. Like, yeah. I think we ranked him number 10. Yeah. And, and he's just been terrible. <laughs> he's a tough one to, to figure out, too, because yeah. he, I, I always liked him as a super underrated prospect. He was a two way player. Uh, that he actually pitched a good bit, even pitched a little bit in the minor leagues. And then 39th round pick ended up you know, focusing on hitting and, and things started to go nuclear for him as he made that focus. And we've talked about that with other guys who have really, Alec Burleson's another example of that. And I mean, I, I always figured he was going to have his issues with lefties because you look at what he did last year. I mean, he still struggled with lefties, thought that would be one little susceptibility that he has, right? In 2021, talk about the good season he had, hit just a buck 70 with a 565 OPS against lefties, but he crushed righties to a 994 OPS and a 333 batting average. So it didn't matter. Figured that's always who he would be. It was more of the same struggles against lefties this year, but against righties, a 660 OPS. You look at a lot of the underlying metrics, nothing really jumps off the page. He had a high chase rate last year. Chase rate's still high this year. Uh, I think the biggest thing is that the fastballs have chewed him up. He has a long swing, and he has really struggled to lay off the fastballs up in the zone. Talking about how a lot of these pitchers that have regressed this year have lost that, that used to have that before. It's a weapon. It's the best weapon in baseball. And it's even the way to get Mike Trout, but he is so good at laying off of them. You look at the chase rates at the top of the zone. He, I think, swings at 6% of fastballs above the top of the strike zone. Jared Walsh swings at everything. Chase rate on fastballs of 37%. You're just not going to be able to succeed. The book is out on Walsh. He already struggles against lefties. Now you add high velo righties to that who you know really love to buzz him at the top of the zone. He's got to learn to lay off of that and adjust the approach. And uh, right now, that's that's the big issue. Uh, he's 29. You know, <laughs> He was a late bloomer. He's shown us flashes, but he's going to really have to make adjustments if he wants to survive because yeah, we always talk about the league adjusts to you. Can you adjust back? So far, it looks like Walsh has not been able to make that second adjustment. And we'll see that answered next season. It's almost done with the regular season. We have just a bit under two weeks left. Actually, it's closer to a week. Right now, it's September 28th. The last day of the regular season is on October 6th. So, yeah, it's just, it's like a week and a half left. Of course, 
Just Baseball Top 100 is coming out very, very soon. We're going to be doing a full episode on that. But to hear more in depth, definitely go check out Arms Podcast, The Call-Up. If you're into the gambling scene, which you should, download prize picks, use code Just Baseball or code Just Gridiron to get a full instant deposit match with up to $100. And listen to my podcast. Why not? Why not? Not gambling yeah. advice. We got football picks coming up there on Friday, but most of the days you'll hear my MLB best bets and definitely go get yourself some Just Baseball merch. But before we end, Aram, Cal Quantrill has a 3-4-9 ERA. <laughs> And for those who maybe new listening to this podcast, haven't heard about the bet that Arm and I have, Arm will get a tattoo. A small one. A tattoo regardless. Small. Whether it's small or not, whether it's on his forehead or not, he will be getting a tattoo. And Cal Quantrill's last start is against the Kansas City Royals at home. Oh, please, my King Vinny Pascantino. I need you. can we can we acknowledge how incredibly down to the wire this has been it makes it so much more insane um i will i'm gonna do era calculations figure out what i need and out of this start i will say though if he lands on 3.50 i will get a cal control tattoo just just because you want one (laughs) it's because i want one he's earned it he has made me an incredible amount of money dude like I, he hasn't I lost at home since he was a padre. It's it's a crazy. Padre. It's crazy, dude. It, it, the only stretch I've seen like this, <laughs> which is which is wild because uh, it was the 60th anniversary of his death uh, yesterday or two days ago. Two days ago, Jose Fernandez. He had a similar streak of never losing at home, which made sense. It's one of the best pitchers in baseball at one of the biggest pitchers parks out there. Cal Quantrill's matching that shit in Cleveland, man. Um, it's pretty wild. I, 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 there's no denying you found a little fucking gap in the matrix when it comes to the betting side of things. My gosh, yeah. How many would you say you've won in a row just tailing Cal Quantrill? I think I've lost three times on him this year, and I've pretty much tailed him every single. And I think one or year. two of the losses were like you took first five, and then they ended exactly. up winning anyways. And or you, I you took an under. Five. Or I remember. Probably the greatest bet ever. So I think I had under eight and a half um, because I was afraid. I remember the start very clearly watching in the office. It was Padres versus Guardians, and the Guardians were really struggling against lefties at the time. And Blake Snell was on the mound at home in Petco where the weather wasn't very good for hitting. And I thought to myself, well, this game is definitely going under eight and a half. Guardians put up seven and one. Like, but the score was seven to one, and it still went under. Because Cal Quadril shoved against the Padres. Like he is just, he is just a, he loves me and I love him. And I will get a tattoo if he lands on 3.50. Honestly, I might just get a tattoo regardless. Just, just period. Just period. Uh, Last thing I'll say real quick is um, I want to light a fire under my ass. The top 100 will be out by the time you're listening to this, whoever's listening to this. So, wow. So, top 100 is live. Check it out on justbaseball.com. A couple of things I wanted to headline real quick. Bunch of new functionality. So like you can navigate, search by player, search by team, sort by tools. You can sort by anything. You can share the write-ups on Twitter. You can click below the individual player write-ups and share it on Twitter or whatever else, wherever else, uh, not Facebook for whatever reason that didn't work or who cares, but all the other social media platforms, I think you can share the write-ups there. So if you want to like, you know, post it anywhere, share it with people, make your case to why a player that we're high on is good. 
you can do that. Um, and, and a lot more new just features that are going to make the top 100 list a lot more navigable, fun to use, and easy to revisit. So check that out now because it should be out. Arms got a fire lit under his ass. He is intimidated by a tattoo and he want to get, wants to get out the top 100. It's probably going to be the best top 100 of all time. Oh, yeah. And go check it out on justbaseball.com. And with that, thanks, everybody. <laughs>